0: Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my uh, pleasure to be here with you this morning. And this morning I'm going to fulfil every stereotype of a minister. I'm going to ask you for money. I'm going to talk about money, 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 just like every minister apparently does all the time, because that's what the church is on about all the time. Apparently, according to outsiders. Well, at our church we don't talk about money very much. What we do is we just work through books of the Bible together. But when we get to a part of the Bible that talks about money, we talk about it. And today I'm going to talk very plainly, and perhaps a little bit surprisingly, So can I encourage you, please do have your Bible open today. Make sure that what I'm saying is what God says in his word. Because if not, I'm ripping you off. (laughs) Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. A Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, do please help us to understand your word rightly this morning and help us to respond appropriately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I say, we're working through the book of uh, 2 Corinthians at the moment, and in this next section of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking about money. He's talking about a collection that he was taking up. It was a collection uh, that was from some of the Gentile churches, the non-Jewish churches, like the Corinthian church. He was taking some money from the Gentile churches, and he was bringing it to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, the reason that he was trying to do it partly because Jewish Christians were really struggling. But the most important reason that he was trying to do this was to sort out a big issue in early Christianity. As I'm sure you know, most of the early church was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were all Jewish. The apostle Paul himself, a Jewish man. But over time, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, became interested in Christianity. The thing is, Jews and Gentiles were very different, Very different in the way that they lived. Very different in the way they ate. Very different in the way that they conducted themselves. Uh, Jews and Gentiles didn't kind of fit well together. And so for the Jewish Christians, the idea of allowing Gentiles into the church was a bit of a challenge. And the answer that many of them came up with was this. Make them become Jewish as well as Christian. If they're men, make them get circumcised, make make them obey the laws of Moses, and then they'll be able to come into the church and be Christians, make the Gentiles become Jewish as well as trust Jesus. But the Apostle Paul disagreed. Paul argued, there is only one thing you need to be a Christian. All you need is Jesus. His life, death and resurrection is enough to cover your sin and transform you and make you a fully fledged, first class, heaven bound Christian citizen. Jesus is all you need, not Jesus plus Judaism, not Jesus plus anything, just Jesus is enough. Now the other apostles, they all agreed with the Apostle Paul, they confirmed it at a council in Jerusalem, but still it was a big issue in the early church and particularly a big issue in the hearts of Jewish Christians. Now meanwhile, historically, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were doing it tough, There was a famine. Many of them were starving. And because they'd become Christians, their fellow Jews weren't helping them anymore. They weren't on the list for kind of charity anymore. At the same time, while these Jewish Christians were starving, some of the Gentile Christians in other parts of the world, they were doing great. They were very wealthy. Churches like the Corinthians were very wealthy. And so Paul came up with this idea. Get the Gentile churches to send money to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Simple idea, but it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. This was a great exercise for the Gentile churches. It was a way for them to say thank you to the Jewish Christians for giving them Jesus and giving them Christianity. It was also something that would challenge them and stretch them in their own Christian faith. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a great challenge for the Jew- for the Gentile Christians. It's also great for the Jewish Christians as well. Firstly, it'll help them not to starve to death. But but more than that, as they see firsthand the generosity of the Gentile Christians, generosity that's inspired not by being Jewish, not by being circumcised, not by obeying the law of Moses, generosity that's inspired entirely by their faith in Jesus, as they receive this gift, the Jewish Christians will be able to see that the Gentiles are genuine Christians. Their generosity will show that they are genuine. Now, as we saw last week, the Corinthians were pretty big with their words when it came to this important gospel collection. And it's gospel collections, and it's just about poverty. It's about about such an important issue for the gospel. And the the Corinthians were, yeah, we're in. Fabulous. Sign me up for $1,000, Paul. They were big with their words. But Titus has come back and said to Paul, yeah, their words were pretty good, but I'm not seeing any money in the collection plate. And so Paul, you remember last week, was reminding them to do what they promised, to put their money where their mouth is. Well, now in this next section that we're looking at today, Paul reveals four principles about giving. Four principles about giving to this particular gospel work, but four principles that I think apply to giving to any gospel work. All right, there are four principles to encourage the Corinthians to give generously to this gospel work. The first principle is this. Principle number one, first principle, you reap what you sow. Not you rip what you sow. It's not not about sowing, okay? No, no, you reap what you sow. Of course, this is a principle from farming. the, the, The more seeds you sow, the more seeds you put in the ground, the more crop you will end up, and the more seeds that will produce for you to use next time. Let me quote from commentator David Garland. No farmer considers sowing as a loss of seed because the harvest will provide the seed for the next season. Consequently, no sower begrudges the seed he casts upon the ground or tries to scrimp by with with sowing as little as possible. He willingly sows all he can and trusts that God will bless the sowing with a bountiful harvest. If the farmer, for some reason, stints on the sowing, he would cheat himself of that harvest. The more he sows, the greater the harvest he will reap, and the more he will have for sowing for the next harvest. Applying this analogy to giving means that plentiful giving will result in a plentiful harvest. That's the principle. If you give generously to God's work, you will receive generously from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, have a look with me. 2 Corinthians, check, check with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Is this what God is saying? If you give generously to God's work, you will receive generously from God. Have a look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's principle number one. Principle number two, second principle is this. God wants his people to be considered and voluntary and cheerful. Considered, voluntary, cheerful givers. God wants his people to give in a considered way. He wants us to think about it, to turn our attention to it. He wants us to think hard. Will I give? How much will I give? What will I give to? What is a strategic thing to give to? What is, what is the right amount to give? He wants us to be considered. God also wants us to give voluntarily. We should do it willingly. We should do it for God, not just because some preacher has harangued us or tricked us or or guilted us or pressured us into giving. No, no, we should give voluntarily from our hearts. And God wants us to give cheerfully. He wants us to be happy to have the privilege of serving him. Happy to be able to participate in God's work in the world. Happy to respond to his generosity in Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, God gives us everything that we have. And then he graciously uses money that we give back to him for his work in this world and then rewards us. It's all of his grace. It's a privilege. And so God wants us to give cheerfully. So considered, voluntary and cheerful. That's principle number two. Verse seven, have a look, check. Check, make sure this is what actually says here. Verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Considered. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Voluntary. For God loves a cheerful giver. See it there? Third principle. Principle number three. God is able and willing to give us way more than we can ever give to him. And we're not just talking about stuff, although God does give us every single thing that we have. We're not just talking about stuff. Generosity won't just enrich you with stuff. Generosity will enrich you as a Christian. God will grow you in maturity and in character and in righteousness. The point is this, you cannot outgive God. And you can't give so much that God won't be able to look after you. Of course, in the background here is the principle that Warren was talking about last week, the equality principle, that those who have plenty should give to those who don't have. Those who don't have can receive. But it doesn't matter how generous we are. God can and will give us more. Through your generosity, God will enrich you. Through your generosity, God will enrich you. Does that sound radical? Have a look and see if it's what it says. You ready? Verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. It makes sense. Doesn't it? Imagine you're God and you think... Who will I give stuff to? Who will I give stuff to? Makes sense to give give stuff to those who are going to be generous and give in your name and so people thank you and and, and then the honour comes back to God. Of course that's who he's going to give to. You'll be enriched in every way. So God is able and willing to bless. You can't outgive him. That was principle number three. Fourth and final principle. Fourth and final principle. If you are generous other people will thank God for your genuine faith. If you are generous, other people will see that you are genuine and will thank God. Thank God for your giving. Uh, Paul reminds the Corinthians uh, why that particular collection was so important. He says that it will supply the physical needs of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. That's important. But more than that, It will lead the Jewish Christians to recognise that God has given his surpassing grace to the Gentiles. It will lead the Jewish Christians to praise God for what Paul calls, and look out for these words when we read it, for what what Paul calls the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so the Gentiles' confession of the gospel of Christ is accompanied by this obedience, this generosity. In other words, when when they receive the gift, the Jewish Christians will think, "Well, hang on, these Gentiles—I don't like the way they eat pork and prawns, um, but I can see that they're real. They're real Christians. They're true Christians. Their generosity." Proves that they're genuine. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift, not just to us Jewish Christians, but to the Gentile Christians as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Verse 11. Let's go back to the beginning again in verse 11. You'll be enriched in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, that is through Paul doing this collection, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, the Jewish Christians, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have noticed this word, proved yourselves, others, the Jewish Christians, will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. That's where it began. That's where it ended. Do you remember the beginning of chapter eight last week. Paul thanked God for the grace given to the Macedonian churches—the grace of giving—and here's how he finishes again: God's indescribable gift of Jesus, but more than that, of being able to give to the cause of Jesus in this world. All right. Okay, can you see what's here then in this section of 2 Corinthians? Paul shares these four principles of giving. Principle number one, you reap what you sow. Principle number two, God wants considered, voluntary, cheerful givers. Point number three, God is able and willing to enrich you through your generosity in every way. And point number four, if you are generous, other people will see that you are genuine. And we'll thank God for you and for your generosity. Am I sounding like a prosperity gospel preacher? Should I start my own TV show, do you think? Is that what's there? Have I fairly interpreted the passage for you? That's what's there, isn't it? All right, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Our friends, these principles still apply. All four of them. Still today, you will reap what you sow. If you sow generously into God's kingdom, you will reap generously in this life and in the next. You will grow in maturity. You will flourish as a Christian. God will bless you. If you sow sparingly, you will become a shriveled, immature, impoverished Christian. Still today, principle number two. God wants you to be considered about what you give. He wants you to give voluntarily and cheerfully, knowing that it's a privilege to give. He doesn't need your money. He owns everything, and he gave it to you in the first place. But he gives you the privilege of giving back to participate in his work in this world, and then he will reward you for that. It's all of grace. It's all of God's goodness and kindness. Amazing, really. No wonder Paul starts and finishes with with grace, because this is the grace of giving, as Paul calls it. And so we would be wise to give in a thoughtful and voluntary and cheerful way. Also, still today, principle number three. God is able to enrich you through your generosity. God hasn't run out of stuff. I have never met a Christian who has given so much that they've been left in need? I know most people didn't do Bible study this week with school holidays, but that was one of the questions. Have you ever given so much that you've been left in need? I've never met anyone in that circumstance. And the Christians I've seen who are generous, they do receive greatly from God. They do grow in maturity and godliness and joy, and God does provide richly for them. And still today, principle number four, if you are generous, other people will see that you are a real Christian. And other people will thank God for your genuine faith. They will see that Jesus is real and they'll see, as Jesus said, well, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. They'll see your heart. All these principles that Paul sets out here, they still apply. And they are all good reasons to give generously to God's gospel work in this world. So how are we going? How are we going? Are we generous sowers? Are we considered thoughtful, cheerful givers? So that other people look at us and go, whoa. Chatsworth Presbyterian Church is full of genuine Christians. They might eat lots of pork and prawns, but they're real Christians. Let me start by saying this. Our church has a reputation for generosity. We're known in the denomination as a generous church. We gave more than a million dollars for the general work of our church last year. We also gave more than a quarter of a million dollars towards our missionaries last year. We're a long way behind this year, about $80,000 behind, but more than a quarter of a million last year. We also gave generously to Compassion last year, set up a couple of centres, do you remember? We sponsor a couple of hundred kids in our church. Uh, We gave more than $80,000 to light up Tullua Bible College earlier this year. Remember that? We're renowned as a generous church. In fact, some of you may have even seen in the church email a few weeks ago, we were commended to New South Wales State Parliament for our generosity as a church. Because of our generosity as a congregation, people have thanked God for our genuine faith in Jesus. That's great. All right. I do want to take the opportunity today, though, to talk specifically about our giving to church. As I say, this is not something that I talk about very often. Uh, We just work through books of the Bible, but when it comes up, it comes up. And uh, today, in the light of God's word here, I, I want to talk to you very plainly, very plainly about money. I want to think about a general collection to start with, the general collection of our church. The general collection, uh, it supports our staff, pays me, pays Warren and Marty and Andrew and Audrick and Eva and uh, supplies, provides for our families. Also our students, Matt Telfer, Matt Radloff, David Kim. Money is also used to pay for our property and uh, uh, for our insurances, other expenses we incur as we function, electricity, that kind of thing. Uh, Also, about a tenth of our money goes to support the wider work of our denomination, our Bible college, our committees, that kind of stuff. That's our general collection. And then, as Warren showed us last week, he showed us in in detail, I won't go through it all again, but we have a number of other collections for causes outside our church itself, uh, for mission and for aid, both locally and overseas. It's quite a balanced program of giving that we commend here at church. Now, friends, I'm convinced that investing in and through our church is a wise gospel investment. Our church is helping people to put their trust in Jesus and grow in maturity in him. As Warren showed us last week, the money that you give to our church is used in an accountable and a transparent way. I believe that our church is worth investing in. And the fact that you're here, I take it, if you're a regular at least, it means that you value our ministry. You value what we are doing. You are benefiting from what we are doing and you value what we are doing. And so, if you are a member of our church, I don't say this very often, but I'm unashamed to say it, you should be sowing generously into our ministry. You ought to be. Of course, I'm not commanding you. We've just read in the Bible it's supposed to be voluntary and cheerful. That's clear from this passage. It costs nothing to come to church here. If you want to just come and bludge off us each week, that's fine. It's free, okay? Do what you want, that's fine. But in my opinion, if this is your church, you should be giving generously to our work. Now, as I say, we have a reputation as a generous church. But before you start patting yourself on the back, let's have a closer look at the figures. I should say, I don't personally know how much anybody gives in our church. I deliberately don't um, look at that in any way. Uh, You can give a million dollars, I won't know. You can give nothing, I won't know. It won't change our relationship in any way. I don't know. But here are some figures from our treasurer. And he's in control of the slides as well. Good on you, Casey. Okay, There are 180 to 200... Uh, giving units in our church. So people or families, 180 to 200, who give regularly to our church online. And online giving makes up about 98%, 98.5% of our giving. So pretty much all of our giving now is online. And we don't, of course, have a collection anymore in church uh, during our services anymore. Now, of those 200 givers, the top five givers... So this is just five individuals or five families. They gave almost 20% of our total giving. So the top five families give one-fifth of what the whole church gives. Top ten givers. Top ten givers gave 32% of our income. Okay, so it's just ten individuals or ten families give a third of what the whole church gives. Half of our giving came from the top 24 givers. So in other words, 10% of our givers gave 50% of our income. This was even more clear uh, during the very generous PrezAid gift that we gave to Light Up Tulua earlier in the year. We gave just over $80,000. The top 20 givers gave about 79 of the 80,000, and the other 180 gave $1,000. So 50% of our giving comes from just 10% of our givers. Let me just give you one more statistic more statistic about our giving. This is the median giver. You know what a median is? This is the one that sits in the middle. So half a more, half a less. The median giver of our church last year gave $1,740. Okay, so half our church gave more than $1,740 in that year, and half our church gave less of those that give. Half our church gave less than $1,740 per annum. It's so $145 per month. Now, according to recent statistics... The median annual family income on the North Shore is around $170,000 per annum. Don't know how that compares to your income. But that's the median annual family income on the North Shore, $170,000. So put it all together. Put all the statistics together. What, what, what does it mean? It means that our church is like pretty much every other church. We have a small number of people who give generously, while the majority of us give about. 1% or less of our income to the work of the church. That's what it works out at, isn't it? I'm not an accountant, but uh, see if you can do the maths. $170,000 is the average annual income, and the median giver gave $1,740 in that year. It's almost exactly 1%, isn't it? As uh, I don't personally know who gives what. I've got no idea how much money you give. I don't, I've got no idea how much anybody earns in the church. I don't know how much... Uh, people give to causes outside the church. Maybe you send all your money back to Malaysia or you give everything you have to guide dogs or something like that. I've got no idea what people give. But I'm not far off when I say this. The average person at Chatsworth Presbyterian Church gives about 1% or less of their income to the work of our church. So, what's your opinion? What, what do you think? Do you think that that is sowing generously into the work of our church? 99% for you, 1% for the church. Is that your definition of generous sowing? Well then, how much do you think people should give? What would it look like to sow generously into the work of our church? What would it look like to be a thoughtful, cheerful, generous giver? The answer from this passage is perfectly clear. It's completely up to you. Make it up for yourself. God wants you to give voluntarily and cheerfully, not because I'm hassling you or making you feel guilty, not because I'm telling you. The New Testament does not say how much you should give. It doesn't give you a figure. It doesn't give you a percentage. And I'm not going to give you rules where the Bible doesn't. But having said that, uh, over the years, a number of people have asked me for specific guidance. They've asked me, well, to be brutally frank, they've asked me what my family gives to give them an example, an idea. Now, of course, this is very risky because Jesus, he warns us strictly about advertising what we give, doesn't he? You remember his picture of the person who blows a trumpet and puts the money in? Uh, hmm, Okay, I'm a bit reticent to do this. But the Bible also says that ministers should be setting an example for the congregation. So I want you to see our example. So for what it's worth, I will tell you how the Reed family planned to give. I did this a few years ago when we studied 1 Timothy. I'll do it again now. I'm not going to give you actual figures. I won't blow the trumpet quite so much. But I will tell you how we plan. All right. Uh, what I do at the beginning of each year, I calculate what our income is going to be. So let's imagine... This is a happy dream. Let's imagine that the Reeds are a median North Shore family. Uh, We have a combined income of $170,000 per year. That's not our actual income. Uh, But let's assume it. Let's assume $170,000 per year. What I do, I then calculate 10%. Now, I know that there is no New Testament command to give 10% of your income to church. That's the figure I choose for our family. Why? Because there's Old Testament background to the concept got to get a figure from somewhere. And because I find that at this point in our lives, with children at home, my mother-in-law in a nursing home, mortgage, etc., 10% is a figure that is painful, but it's affordable. It hurts, but we're not going to be, you know, my kids aren't going to be starving being on the side of the road or something like that. So what does that give? Accountants among us, 170,000 is what we're assuming. 10% is so many accountants in this church. Come on, <laughs> come on. 17,000, works out to be 17,000, all right. What I then do is I divide the 10% by 17. Ooh, doesn't that work nicely? Okay, you can see why I chose 170,000. So divide the 10% by 17, that gives accountants $1,000, $1,000. What we then do is we give $1,000 per month to the general church account. Okay, how many months in the year? 12, so that's 12,000. So we give 12,000 to the general church account. That's not the actual figure, that's, you get the statistic. So 12 units. Uh, we also give one unit, 1,000 to Pres Aid at Easter, one unit, 1,000 to Compassion at Christmas, and three units to Mission Sunday. So 3,000 to Mission Sunday. So you've got 12 months plus two charities plus three for mission. Count that makes 17, doesn't it? Yep, 17. Now, on top of that, there are some other things that we think we should give to that are not part of, they should over and above the 10%. So, we sponsor a compassion child, we give to our church building fund a couple of thousand dollars a year, and we also set aside money for stuff like church camp and youth group camp for our kids and that kind of thing. If you put it all together, it works out for the Reed family to be about 13% of our income. Now, I don't think we're particularly generous. Um, When I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm not going to be saying, hey God, look at what I gave. I'm going going to be saying thank you for Jesus' generosity. I'm not going to be relying on my generosity in any way, shape or form. I'm going to be relying on Jesus' generosity, not mine on Judgment Day. Uh, I suspect though that we earn less than many people in this church. And I suspect we have more dependents. I think I've probably got more children than most people here who depend on me, as well as a mother-in-law in in a nursing home at the moment. Like many people at the moment, we're struggling with interest rates on our mortgage. Uh, I would love to be more generous, but at this stage of life, that's what we've chosen, about 13% in total. That's the example we're setting. As I say, I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your responsibilities. I don't know what other things you give your money to, and it is not my business and not my right or role to command you on this matter. Again, this passage is perfectly clear. Your giving needs to be voluntary and cheerful. But, brothers and sisters, having said all of that, let me as nicely as I can, with a big smile on my face, say something very rude to you. Okay, see, hear the smile. (laughs) If it is true of you that you are giving just 1% of your income to the work of, the church, of our church here, I don't believe you're sowing generously. That's my personal opinion. I stick by it. I don't believe you're sowing generously into the gospel ministry of our church. I reckon you are sowing sparingly, and I think it will impoverish you and shrivel you as a Christian. Here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to go home and have another careful look at this part of the Bible. If you didn't get to do Bible study this week, find the Bible study on Albanto, do the Bible study on this passage. Look carefully again at this passage and reassess your giving. And I don't think you should be reassessing by a little bit. I'll add another dollar here or there. I think, I reckon you might need to be thinking in terms of a thousand percent reassessment. I suspect if you are the median giver, you need to be giving, you ought to be giving ten times what you're currently giving. I should say I have no vested interest in saying this to you. My wage is already set. I'm not going to get a bonus. I'm not going to get a commission if you pay more money to our church. It will make no difference to my income. I'm not saying this for my benefit. But in the light of God's word here today, I am saying it for your benefit. Because if what God says here in his word today is true, if it is true that whoever sows generously will reap generously, if it is true that God loves a cheerful, voluntary giver, if it is true that God will enrich you in every way through your generosity, if it is true that your generosity will show whether you are a real Christian and lead other people to thank God for your genuine Christianity, well, it would be good for you to be more generous, would it not? it would benefit you, it would enrich you in godliness, maturity, and you would be a blessing to others. So I think you should go home, have another careful look at this part of the Bible, and reassess what you are giving. Brothers and sisters, God has given us an indescribable gift. The Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich with the riches of heaven, took on the poverty of becoming a man. He took on the poverty of your sin, dying on the cross for you, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich with the riches of heaven. That is for you, whether you are Jew or Gentile, the gift of Jesus. And on top of that, he's also given you the privilege of being able to generously support his work in this world with the money he gave you in the first place. He doesn't need you but he graciously allows you the privilege of being part of his work. So friends, let's ask God for the grace of giving and let's be generous givers. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we we thank and praise you for your extraordinary mercy and kindness and grace towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege that it is that we can use some of the money that you have given us to further your work in this world and to receive the benefits and and joy of growing as Christians and being a blessing to other people and ultimately receiving reward from you. Lord, it's all of your grace from beginning to end. So we pray, Father, that you would give us the grace of giving. Help us to be generous. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.